Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Misty Winston on today's news talk radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. We have a great show uh, lined up for you today. David Rovix is here. He is fantastic. I've been following him for a very long time. Um, I became aware of him through the Assange movement. Um, he lends his uh, many talents to various different uh, issues and causes, but I, that's how I became aware of him. I've been a big fan of his work ever since. So I'm very excited. This is the first time I'll be having a conversation with him, uh, despite um, uh, low-key stalking his <laughs> his career uh, for the last several years. So, um very excited to have that conversation with him. Okay, listen, on the Assange front, a couple, this is Assange, but also I'm about to brag on TNT a whole lot. So get ready for that. Um, uh, wholesome content coming your way. Uh, but it's very cool because um, uh, TNT has been very supportive of myself, my activism, my support for Assange, um, but just in general to the cause of uh, Julian Assange's freedom. They have been incredible on that front. Um, some of you may remember they uh, paid for me to go to Freedom Fest, um, not this past summer, this summer before, I think, um, in part to promote TNT Radio, but also so that I could be there to um, help spread the word about Julian Assange, which was super amazing of them. Um, they've also sponsored things like um, the Rage Against the War Machine rally, things like that. So they're really cool about um, uh, supporting and appreciating activism and, uh, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and really, uh, uh, you know, sticking their neck out on that front. And they're doing it again, um, this time for the Trust Fall, uh, Julian Assange. This is the new documentary. We've had the uh, director Kim Staten on the show um, before we're trying I'm trying to get him booked again we're trying to nail down a date for him again um, so there is going to be the London premiere is taking place on Sunday February 18th at 1 p.m. at Rio Cinemas in Dalston um, and the, if you want to go to um, I think TNT has tweeted this out I've just tweeted this out um, but you can find out more information and everything um, uh, uh, on the website and I think it's on a, an event bright and things like that so um, they're going to play the film there's also going to be a post-film panel discussion um, with Stella Assange, which is obviously Julian Assange's wife and mother of his two young sons, uh, Kristen Harafsnan, who is the current editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks in Julian's absence, has been for uh, many years now, uh, Tariq Ali, and Kim Staten, obviously the director of the film. So um, I'm very excited to see this film. Um, I think any piece of uh, Assange media that comes out that helps to tell the story in a real and honest way gets past the spin and the propaganda and the narrative, all of that stuff, I think is obviously beneficial. So uh, very excited for that. And also uh, TNT um, is going to be in London for the two court dates. So last December, obviously, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he, whether he will be extradited to the United States. So TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice also super cool. Thank you, TNT. Uh, broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Uh, and then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London, uh, lighting the fuse for freedom uh, over there. So I'm very excited about that. That makes me very happy. Obviously, there's going to be numerous um, content creators, journalists. Uh, hopefully, there will be... <sighs> 
somebody from the mainstream. I doubt it. Let's be honest. I doubt it. There's probably not going to be. If uh, if there's anybody there that I could see being mainstream, it would be honestly Fox News. Um, uh, they have a guy there, Landon Mion. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry, Landon. I've met him in person. He has come to the events that I've organized in Washington D.C. He's interviewed me. Um, he has. Uh, he seems to be um, their Assange guy on Fox News. He does articles for them, and uh, every time something happens in the case, Landon writes an article about it. Um, and he's really the only that I've noticed. And to be fair, I don't um, partake in a lot of mainstream media <laughs> journalism. Journalism. Um, so I, there's, it's very possible that I may have missed somebody who is in the mainstream who covers it on a regular basis. But I don't think so, because I'm pretty clued into the uh, Assange coverage in general. I search for that stuff pretty frequently and I try to monitor if there is an article out in the mainstream. I try to, I mean, we all do this. Uh, we read through it and see how many things they got wrong. Uh, and then we try to call them out for that, for those and get them to, uh, you know, redo the article or make an, an adjustment or um, whatever they need to do. But Landon does a great job. He's again, he's come to my events and he's covered them. So I, I don't know if Fox News will send somebody to London. That would be cool if they did. Um, I just very much doubt that we're going to see Maybe, though. I don't know. Uh, I could see The Guardian showing up. Maybe. I think they're all trying to save face at this point. I think they're all trying to pretend as if they've supported him all along, guys. What are you talking about? We didn't throw him under the bus for the past 10 years because um, the it's um, it shifted. Momentum has shifted now in his favor. And so I think a lot, we're going to see this a lot, not just with mainstream media outlets, but I think also a lot of politicians are going to try to now pretend that um, all along they've been supportive of Julian Assange. And this is just a terrible thing that's happening. And um, don't let him get away with that. Uh, there's a lot of people who are going to try to pretend as if uh, they weren't part of the problem. And we need to hold those people to account. So uh, very excited. Thank you to TNT again. Um, super cool that they're both hosting the premiere of the Trust Fall. Um, and then also that they're going to be at the court on February 20th and 21st. If you are in London or anywhere near London or you can get to London on the 20th and 21st, please do. Um, I believe that the intention there is to have people start meeting up around 8.30. I think court is scheduled to begin at 9. I Don't hold me to that, though. I'm, I need to double check it. I'm pretty sure that that's uh, the game plan. So there will be speakers. There will be some of the best activists on planet Earth are going to be there, um, people that I love dearly. Um, it's But we just need as many bodies there, as much noise as possible. I don't know if Julian will be there in person. He has not been permitted to attend his own court hearings in person for some some time now but if he is it would be cool to be able to make enough noise that he could hear um but regardless i think it just sends a message if a whole boatload of people show up to support him so if you can get there please get there i wish i could be there i am suffering from serious fomo on this one <laughs> like i really wish i could be there um so uh, uh yeah if you can make it please do um okay don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Write up for the guests of the day every day with links so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like, you can shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea. I love that st stuff. Um, I love hearing about new people that are outside of my uh, little bubble. So uh, please shoot me those things. I'll try to get back to you. Um, and if you have a, a, a suggestion for a possible guest that you would like to hear on TNT just in general, or perhaps you have a topic that you feel we should be discussing we definitely want to hear from you you can complete the suggestion form on the tnt website which again is tntradio.live uh, and you can help us make a difference right here on today's news talk tnt it's the stuff what citizen wouldn't want to make american great again people are talking about it's vilifying mago it's just not gonna work today's news talk radio tnt 
All right. This is super interesting. A California county has become the first in America to recognize loneliness as a public health emergency. Frankly, I think this is long overdue. So here with the story joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So this is not at all surprising to me that loneliness is a public health emergency, but we're now starting to see people acknowledge that like at, at, a, at a, um, a legislative level, uh, level. Is that what we're seeing here, Adam? Yeah, it is kind of interesting. And then like all things, uh, we got to be wary, uh, especially because we're declaring things public health emergencies. We know where that leads, which is ironic because the last major one uh, here uh, around the world um, caused the current one that we're talking about today, technically. And this is in, uh, of all places, Misty, this is Silicon Valley. Uh, So Mm. for people who aren't familiar with this, this is what we're speaking of is San Mateo County located in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, of California, United States of America, salute. Uh, They passed the resolution on January 30th. The voters have officially decided to declare loneliness a public health crisis. Uh, The Board of Supervisors voted unanimously on the decision, according to a local report. Um, Supervisor David Canepa, uh, taking to a post on X, uh, said, quote, San Mateo County was the first in the nation to declare loneliness a public health crisis after the Board of Supervisors unanimously passed a resolution in that my office authored. Yada, yada, end quote. All right. Uh, he has, quote, uh, here we go. The good stuff. Uh, quote, loneliness has a profound impact on health and is comparable to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, end quote. It's interesting. Uh, Canepa said he is also calling for the state of California to establish a, quote, minister of loneliness, end quote, position. So we got a new job out of it. Uh, he said that it would help those, quote, suffering in silence to restore meaningful connections that were lost during the pandemic, end quote. Uh, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy also posted on X about this vote, uh, saying, quote, when I released my Surgeon General's advisory on loneliness, I outlined what localities can do to promote connection. Grateful to San Mateo County for becoming the first county in America to recognize loneliness as a public health emergency, end quote. The Surgeon General previously said that loneliness leads to poor health outcomes, including heart attack, depression, and even early death. With the onset of the pandemic, California was the first United States uh, state to issue a statewide stay-at-home order on March 19th of 2020. Interesting. Uh, Dr. David Campbell, a clinical and program director at Recover Health I'm sorry, Recover Together Bend. This is an addiction and mental health treatment facility in Oregon, uh, said uh, he agreed with the decision to declare loneliness a public health emergency. This is according to Fox. Uh, This Dr. David Campbell told Fox News Digital, quote, in present day America, it appears that we are exchanging floor space and electronic devices for friendships and community. Loneliness is absolutely a public health emergency, and the consequences are dire for both mental and also physical health, end quote. Uh, Campbell warns, uh, evidence suggests that those facing high degrees of loneliness may face consequences such as increased risk of heart disease, 
dementia, substance abuse, obesity, cognitive decline, reduced life satisfaction, and even premature death. He recommends, quote, in order to combat loneliness in an increasingly digital world, we must reevaluate our relationships with social media and the virtual realm, strengthen social communities, dramatically increase mental health awareness, and reduce barriers to access encourage civic engagement and improve support social support systems end quote um yep so he's recommending pursue activities considering volunteering spend time with friends or family get outside that kind of thing misty uh, which would be really tough to do if we're facing another pan you know pandemic style public health crisis one crisis begets another isn't that the way but what do you think about this um, okay, so I have mixed emotions because, as I said, this is not surprising to me. And I think that even prior to COVID, obviously COVID exacerbated this issue quite significantly. But I think even prior to COVID, I think this has been a conversation we've been having uh, quite a bit in particular uh, when it comes to senior citizens. Um, and I know that that's a conversation that I've heard for many years that we, you know, we need to check on our seniors. You need to go check on your grandparents, make sure that you're, um, you know, having conversations with them. I think a lot of the times that uh, has become an issue. But I think that for sure, COVID made that so much worse. It really isolated people um, in a way that we really, I don't think, have ever seen, at least in modern history. And so I, and that the lingering effects of that, I think, I think a lot of people um, got kind of stuck. Uh, even once the restrictions relaxed and uh, things started to get back to quote unquote normal, um, I think a lot of people uh, were just kind of stuck. You know, they felt um, uh, th they got into a routine, they got settled, they were, you know, they're they're just at home now. And I think that that's um, for a lot of people, that's probably been pretty significantly difficult to drag themselves out of. I think that that it's probably like a depression, right? You get into it and it's kind of like this hole you can't dig yourself out of. And I feel like there's probably a lot of that. What I think is interesting is that we are not uh, the only country that has recognized this. I read this article um, some time ago. It came out in December of 2022. Uh, but there is a Dutch grocery chain called Dumbo, or I'm sorry, Jumbo. Um, sorry, my kid loves Dumbo. So I immediately just read that as Dumbo. Um, uh, but they have over 700 locations uh, and they have opened lanes in each of their uh, stores um, uh, for longer conversations with the cashier. So they notice that in, in their situation, a lot of their seniors um, are dealing with loneliness, are dealing with these types of issues that we're talking about here. And so they opened up a lane in each of their locations um, where uh, the wait's going to be longer because if you want to chat, have a chat. You know what I mean? And I thought that that was pretty cool. I think that that's an interesting solution. Now, in the United States, we're opening self-checkouts. <laughs> to avoid conversations. Um, so maybe we should rethink that strategy. But yeah, I think that this is, obviously it's a problem, but as you mentioned, we need to be incredibly suspect and um, vigilant when any anytime government gets involved in solving the problems that they very clearly cause themselves. So uh, yeah, I think that it's obviously an issue. It needs to be addressed. I think there's no doubt about that. I just think we need to be very mindful of um, how we're handling it, how we're, uh, uh, you know, choosing to solve the problem. I don't know that it is a solvable problem necessarily, but um, certainly be careful about the government getting involved. We're sure. But what do you think, Adam? Well, okay. So the public health crisis uh, side of this is, yes, we understand it's a problem. We're going to address it. But what's the point of declaring it a public health crisis? Well, right. that means 
money. There's going to be a, a transfer of wealth involved. Uh, there will be offered uh, solutions that could potentially make things worse. I'm guessing, you know, I mean, I hope they're not going to come up with mandates, but what are they going to do to mandate people to solve their loneliness problem? They're going to force them to get one of those VR goggle headsets that we were talking about yesterday. Uh, Call grandma. Yeah. <laughs> You're required by law. It's mandated 30 minutes with grandma. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? My grandpa can't even work email. He cannot ha handle a VR thing. I don't, I don't even know if I can handle the AR or the whatever they are, the headsets. Like I, I've played the meta thing, but I don't know if I can handle all of that stuff. But yeah, I don't think grandpas are going to be, grandma and grandpa is going to be uh, hanging out with a VR headset. Maybe at some point, but I don't think that that's in the foreseeable future. But yeah, that's that's my concern is that obviously it's an issue. Obviously it needs to be addressed, but we need to, like, I'm not interested in, um, you know, mandating senior citizens go volunteer to solve their loneliness crisis. I don't think that that's uh, a good way to handle it. So, I mean, really, how about we just solve it ourselves? Like go Go call your grandma. If, you, if you're lucky enough to have a grandma still on planet Earth, go call her. Give her a call. Go check on your neighbor, your elderly neighbor. Uh, go uh, ask him to lunch or you know, ask him to go grab some coffee or whatever. Uh, let's just solve it ourselves. Then the government doesn't have to get involved. How about we do that? Um, okay, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's News Talk. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally 100% heal itself if you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs, what do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
All right, as promised, our guest today is David Rovix. David is an incredible singer-songwriter, podcaster, and writer. Uh, he often lends his immense talents to issues like the fight to free Assange and Palestinian resistance. He is currently on tour in Europe with dates coming up in both France and England. Uh, he will also be in London on February 20th and 21st for the day ex-court hearings for journalist and publisher Julian Assange, as we just talked about at the top of the show. Uh, you can check out more information for all of his work at his website, davidrovix.com. By the way, that's R-O-V-I-C-S. Um, and and you can also follow him over on Twitter at DRobix. David, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Mr. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. I've been, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been like low-key stalking your career for many years now. I became aware of you um, through the Assange movement, obviously. We have that uh, very much in common. So um, obviously, let's start there. How uh, how did you get involved in uh, the Assange movement? What drew, what drew you to it? Uh, and uh, and uh, I guess we'll just start there, and then we'll, we'll talk about the DayX stuff. Well, I think I first um, became, at least as far as I recall, I first became aware of WikiLeaks and the fantastic work that they're doing um, when Chelsea Manning uh, got out of the military base with uh, all that information about U.S. war crimes in Iraq. But uh, it may have been before that. But I mean, since then, it's the WikiLeaks has just been a, a, a profoundly important force on the planet as a, you know, a, a, in terms of exposing government corruption all over the world and war crimes committed by the US and the UK and many other countries. I mean, they've, they've been indispensable. And, and that's why that's why the US is and so many other countries uh, hate Assange and, and want to see him dead, you know, I mean, but the US is the worst of them and, and is the one that's, uh, you know, trying to extradite him and where he faces 175 years in prison. So um, I mean, I've, I've always, uh, been a fan of Julian and um, of WikiLeaks, and I think it's completely. Um, you could see why uh, the, the powers that be don't like him, and it's uh, yeah. the, the campaign <laughs> against him has just been, a, a, you know, something else to behold. As you know, I mean, the, the propaganda has just been just incredible. Yeah, Isn't such, it intense? Such disinformation. Yeah, so it's intense. intense. Like that's the I think the most, or I guess there's a lot of fascinating aspects to this uh, case, and I use that term very loosely because they don't have a mm -hmm. case. But this no. situation, whatever you want to call it, but the the amount, David, the amount of time and money and energy and resources that have been mm -hmm. spent by not just one country, by multiple countries to destroy mm -hmm. this one human being is fascinating to me. I think that really speaks to the power of uh, legitimate journalism, right? Yeah, it sure does. And it also speaks to the vindictiveness and and uh, yeah. the, the illegality and the cruelty that, that uh, governments like ours uh, and like the UK and like Sweden uh, are willing to uh, resort to uh, to punish somebody that uh, does the kind of journalism that Julian Assange has done. I mean, it's such a terrible example for the rest of uh, the world because of course uh, anybody else who's planning on uh, facilitating uh, massive leaks about war crimes uh, in the future is going to be thinking really hard about uh, whether they want to be going to prison for the rest of their lives 
Yeah. And I think that that's really, I mean, that's, that's the crux of it all. They it's um, obviously they want Julian Assange silence. They would like to, I think, frankly, they would like to see him dead. Um, but I think it's so much bigger than that. I think, uh, and I say this all the time and I apologize to people who listen to me regularly for sounding a bit like a broken record, but I think it's an important uh, point to make is that he's essentially just being used as the warning. Um, he, uh, as I often do, I will liken him to, he's the head on a stake outside the castle walls, right? He is the threat to other journalists and, uh, you know, as a byproduct of that whistleblowers all across the world, that if you mess with us, this is what we will do to you. This is what you will have to go through. Um, and I think that that's been incredibly effective. I mean, we see the state of journalism. It's a dumpster fire. Um, to be fair, there are, I don't mean to sound completely cynical, there are a tremendous amount of journalists out there who are doing unbelievable work under really tenuous circumstances, risking their lives. Yeah. I mean, we can speak about, we can talk about the journalists in Palestine later on, but that's just one example. There are there are people doing great work, but I think um, the state of, uh, you know, obviously mainstream press, it is a disaster. So uh, I think that that's been a very effective, it's been a very, uh, caused a very effective chilling effect across journalism and whistleblowing. I don't think there's any doubt about that no doubt about it at all but it's in terms of journalists it's it's just been one of the things that's been so interesting to me in terms of like being involved with this campaign and seeing how many journalists around the world are are very passionately supportive of julian and uh, including organizations that journalists internationally are involved with and journalists of so many different countries when when journalists are actually organizing as journalists one of the top things that they are involved with is supporting julian assange but what you can see so plainly is that journalists by and large i mean you know freelancers aside journalists who are working for some outlet which is usually some corporate outlet or some state controlled outlet somewhere they don't get to choose what they do stories on they don't get to fly themselves to london to cover a story that they want to cover somebody else has to decide to do that and clearly you know it is no longer fashionable to be sympathetic with julian assange it's no longer fashionable for the western press to cover anything related to him and you know every time i'm in london when there are events going on around the royal courts one of the really striking things to see is that most of the journalists are not from the uk and they're certainly not from the us either you know right. they're, they're they're generally often from outside of europe or or maybe you know, one or two from other european countries but nobody local no and the united states it's uh horrific it's so pathetic the lack of journalism on display uh surrounding this case because frankly uh it's it, they should be embarrassed like it, it, forget the uh the incredible implications that this case has over the future of press freedom which if you are a journalist you should be incredibly concerned by so forget the fact that they're not covering it just based on that but it's a story david it is a story i mean it is a journalist who is being held in uh, the UK's Guantanamo for exposing war crimes and corruption. And there's been all of these, I mean, uh, the, the, all the, the spies and intrigue and there's there's sex and there's all of the things. That, like, it's a it's yeah. a juicy story. And, so, and the, the idea that they're still not covering it, blow, it doesn't mm -hmm. blow my mind because I realize why they're not covering it. But I just, it, if I were a journalist in the mainstream and I, I, I don't know that I could look at myself in the mirror and I certainly wouldn't be calling myself a journalist. It is embarrassing that they are not covering this story. Really? So, okay, listen, we got to take a quick break and get some headlines. Hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's News Talk. TNT. Here's what's making news. TNT Radio News.
For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The U.S. has launched airstrikes in Baghdad, targeting individuals linked to a recent attack in Jordan that resulted in the deaths of three American service members. During a fundraiser in New York City, President Joe Biden labeled former President Donald Trump as an existential threat, emphasizing the urgency of preventing Trump from undermining his administration's achievements. President Joe Biden mistakenly claimed to have discussed the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot with former German Chancellor Helmut Kohl, who had passed away nearly four years prior to the riot. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. All right, we're here with David Robux. And by the way, um, if you're going to follow us on social media, also do the share, subscribe, like, comment, all of those things. Help us get through the algorithms. <laughs> we're pretty heavily shadow banned. Not surprising. Um, okay, so we're here with David Robux. We're talking about the work that he's done over the years uh, for the campaign to free Julian Assange. Obviously, uh, we speak about that quite a bit here on this show with no apologies made for it. Um, I will continue to talk about it a lot, uh, especially in these next couple of weeks here as we approach the day X uh, court dates in February. February, on February 20th and 21st. So I know that you uh, plan to be um, at the courts in London on February 20th and 21st. And uh, this is really kind of the Hail Mary pass to prevent extradition to the United States. I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction because it is impossible to know uh, what's going to happen. Nothing in this situation makes any sense whatsoever. Um, but I think that what I will ask you is that I've noticed as, as somebody who's done, um, you know, a, a fair bit of activism on this front myself, uh, that the support for Julian has, as you briefly talked about uh, just before the break there, it has grown immensely over the, I mean, certainly since he was uh, essentially kidnapped from the Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, but even before then, yeah. I think that that was already kind of snowballing but I think that we have reached a point now where there is just such a tremendous amount of support that it's becoming even more difficult for them to continue this. Um, so would you agree with that? And do you think that that's going to have uh, any impact whatsoever on uh, his situation? I mean, you know, like I, I don't want to switch topics or anything, you know, but uh, just when you see the millions and millions of people marching around the world uh, calling for a ceasefire, calling for an end to this genocide in Gaza, and um, the lack of response on the part of the powers that are committing the genocide or, or, you know, arming Israel and sending them billions and all that. I mean, you know, whether whether anybody's listening in, in the in the British establishment or the U.S. establishment, are they listening to all of the voices uh, calling for to, to free Julian? I mean, you know, I, it, it seems that they don't listen to um, popular opposition necessarily but of course we have to do everything we possibly can to to try to make them listen and, and uh you know hope that there's possibility you know that 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 could you know enough enough attention could actually make something happen i mean uh you know it's i i wish i could say that i was uh hopeful about our capacity right. to influence uh, these <laughs> monsters that run these countries you know i mean i don't think um I, you know i think the vast majority of the members of the british parliament and the american congress are sociopaths and i, I think yes. you, you know you can't get to that position i mean some people can't but i think the vast majority don't get to and it's very difficult to get to that position unless you're both rich and a sociopath i think you know yes. these these this, the, you know, these qualities are pretty much essential for that the job and i i don't think that's the case in 
you know, in governments around the world by any means. But in these countries, it certainly is the case. You know, other countries are more civilized. They're not, they're not entirely run by money. There's much more democracy in a lot of other countries, you know. But the U.S. and the U.K., especially the U.S., is extremely like, I mean, and as Howard Zinn often was fond of saying, two parties, that's only one more than one party. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's not... Uh, uh, it's and, really and just a so, uniparty. Yeah, it's really just yeah. the one party. They do a good job, I think, um, at least to the untrained observer, to the average American citizen. I think they do a good job of presenting the illusion of choice. Um, they do yeah. a good job of pretending that they are two different parties and that they're not completely owned and operated by the exact same people. Um, but they are. They are owned and operated by the exact same people. Um, they serve the same agenda. And really, um, it's a, basically just a soap opera with psychopaths. Like, it's that just a show um they present to us uh, uh the way that they conduct themselves uh, amongst e each other and listen i have no doubt that there are cliques and there are people that like each other more than others and there are people that go to dinner together and people that can't stand each other it's I'm, it's probably just like high school only with really rich unwell people um but i think that that's it, they really do serve the same the the same exact agenda and there's just at this point i don't know how anybody could possibly deny it when it doesn't matter who the president is the agenda remains the same on essentially on war and wall street it's the same thing and everything else i think is used to yep. keep the people divided so uh yeah i think you're absolutely, absolutely right and i think i think it's very frustrating to watch that i'm glad that you're saying it openly and honestly though because i say stuff like that all the time that i it, it, they don't care what we think and people call me a cynic um but that when i say that i'm just being honest about the situation i don't mean we shouldn't try obviously i'm trying like i'm still doing stuff yeah. um yeah, i just think exactly. you need to be realistic about the the, the situation that we're in right yeah, I mean, look at history. Look at look at the millions and millions of people that were protesting against the Vietnam War all over the world. Did they stop yeah. bombing Vietnam? I mean, but you know, all those people in the streets. Maybe they stopped them from using nuclear weapons. You know, I mean, so and I've heard people, uh, you know, who are much more knowledgeable about that period of history than I am, say that that that's quite likely the case. That if not for all those people in the streets, they would have resorted to nuclear weapons and you know that. So well, okay, we I guess we can, you know, let's keep on being in the streets and hope that, you know, yeah, we can at least uh, moderate their genocidal practices, you know. In terms of support for Assange, one of the most uh, interesting things I came across just over the past couple of years when this uh, uh, fundraising efforts was, were being made in, in his defenses, uh, when, when there was uh, the possibility to donate by cryptocurrency, more than yeah. half of the people donating came from China, small donors from China. And uh, I mean, you know, the, the the kind of support that Assange has all over the world from from people who who understand, you know, viscerally what what it is that he stands for and what he's trying to do with WikiLeaks. You know, it's his support is everywhere. Yes, and you're absolutely right about that. Every time there's a global event that takes place, where obviously there's a court date or there's some significant action taking place uh, around um, his hearings or whatever, and we have all of these global events that pop up. And I think I just had Alex Hills on uh, recently, who runs the Candles for Assange page, and I think she said it's like 65 cities currently and. 14 or 15 different countries. I may have those numbers completely wrong. But my point is, is that, um, you know, watching that grow over time, watching it, you know, it, it be something that was kind of a fringe issue years and years ago. Um, I mean, I was a very passive supporter myself initially. I don't know uh, uh, um, how involved you were. I know you, I'm, I'm very much the same as you. 2010, 2011, when the Manning leaks came out, I was instantly hooked. I was in, I was all over it. I was, uh, I loved it. Couldn't get enough. 
I'm like, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Dave Chappelle meme where he's the, the the crackhead. Hey, you got any more of those leaks? That's how I felt. Like, oh my god, this is amazing yeah. stuff. Um, I I was an, an, uh, immediately hooked, and I was a, a WikiLeaks fan from Jump. Um, and uh, but I was a very passive supporter. I wasn't, you know, in the streets. I wasn't organizing. I wasn't doing any of those things. But it was over time that seeing the way that he was being persecuted, that's what drew me in. And I think I'm uh, I'm sure that there are many people listening, many people around the world who have a very similar. Uh, situation where over time they saw the injustice of what was happening and their support built and they realized that they needed to uh, step up and get more involved. And I think just watching that, I think has been so cool because it is legitimately grassroots, David, because this is an issue that does not get mainstream coverage. It does. In fact, it gets suppressed um, on all of the social media platforms. Uh, Assange posts are incredibly suppressed. YouTube suppresses it. Everywhere mm -hmm. suppresses it. So this is a legitimate grassroots movement that has had to build from nothing to what it is now, which, as you mentioned, there are millions of people across the globe. Many of them are doing regular actions. You have people in Germany and Italy and Australia and uh, Boston and Seattle and Tulsa and everywhere all over the world who are um, in and they're, you know, fighting that fight every single day. And that's uh, been super cool to watch that build. And I think regardless of um, what happens on the 20th and 21st, I think that that gives me a tiny bit of hope to see the way that, and it really is kind of that um, post-partisan, there are no, I don't think Assange supporters care. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what party you belong to. I don't care what books you read. I don't care what ism you subscribe to. If you would like to fight to free Julian Assange and protect the future of press freedom, welcome aboard. Happy to have you. Like, I feel like it's absolutely. a very welcoming movement. Like, do you agree? I, th I feel like it's been just such oh, a absolutely. welcoming movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. And and it's, it is a very welcoming movement for, and, and, and it's also, well, and then, uh, you know, other, the other elements of, of uh, society that are not uh, that don't think inclusively ecumenically like that i've you know you can hear the most wacky stuff from them accusing uh, you know assange and his supporters of you know this or that type of politics just based on like things like guilt by association or whatever i mean this you know this kind of mentality is rife in certain circles certain sectors yeah. and the more fetid sectors of the left you know but uh, yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I actually. I mean, this is a. It's a bit of a tan as aside, but you know, I, I was somebody was. I was talking about how wonderful the Assange family are, and I, I love his brother and his father, and I talk yeah. about them fairly often. And I was in Australia talking to somebody about what a great guy guys uh, his father and his brother are, uh, you know, who are traveling around. I see them, you know, in various countries all the time because you know they're they're constantly touring it, you know, promoting. The films and, and and his case and somebody said oh they're uh, this assange family are, are right adjacent whatever the hell that's supposed to mean and what apparently <laughs> it means is like if you if you get if you're in a if you appear on a fox show uh then then you you, you know be, you become oh. right adjacent you know like i mean I, I, I genuinely despise that mentality. There, oh, listen, God. John Shipton is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's incredibly funny. Ever. And his son is currently being tortured in prison. I don't know about you. Mm. I will go anywhere. I would talk to anywhere. anybody. I'll go talk. Anyone. You want me to talk to the KKK? I'll talk to the KKK. Yeah, if it no means problem. spreading the word about my child and trying to save yes. uh, their life, absolutely. Sign me up. I'm yes. talking to them. It's so, it, that mm -hmm. mentality is so ridiculous. Okay, listen, we got to mm -hmm. take another quick break. Hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT.
De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Our beautiful world is changing withering, dying, by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here with David Robux, who is an incredible musician, artist, activist, writer, um, you name it, he does it all. Um, he's currently on tour, if you would like to find, he's in uh, France and England. If you would like to find dates for that, you can go to davidrovics.com. It's R-O-V-I-C-S. Uh, you can check out all of the dates for that, find him. He'll also be in London, like we mentioned, uh, on February 20th and 21st for the Day X court hearings for Julian Assange. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, uh, you briefly touched on Palestine earlier, and I know that this is something that uh, you're very passionate about as uh as am i myself so um i definitely wanted to talk to you about this because obviously this is um it's a really horrific uh set of circumstances playing out in broad daylight on the world stage for everyone to see i don't think we've ever really experienced anything like this it is a genocide being committed um and it's live streaming essentially We're, we get to see all, yeah. all uh, basically all of it and it is um it's really difficult to watch um so i mean uh i know this is something that has meant a great deal to you um uh, over the years i know you've done a lot of work on this We're, it i don't even know like how to even approach the subject at this point because as yeah. you said it feels like they don't care what we think it feels like there is it feels very hopeless at this point. And I hate diving into that despair because the people of Palestine uh, need for people to not dive into that despair, but it genuinely feels tremendously hopeful. What, what do you, where do you think we stand right now on uh, the situation in Palestine? I mean, it feels like um, what, I'm, what it must have felt to people uh, protesting and trying to stop the US war machine from 
slaughtering millions of people in Southeast Asia in the 60s. I mean, the desperation you wake up with every day, knowing yeah. that, you know, in the, while you've been asleep, your government has probably killed several hundred innocent civilians from the air, just like is happening every day in uh, Gaza. Several hundred civilians are being killed under the bombardment every day. And that's not counting the, the far higher numbers that are now dying of famine and disease. Yeah. And they're being starved and they're not letting the food in. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, what's just one of the many things that's been so striking to me over the past few months. I mean, I've been writing songs constantly and essays and whatever good that does. It did an album of 20 songs that I wrote between October and December about the genocide. But what's been striking is the complete, I mean, I've never actually seen in my lifetime such a contrast, although there is generally a contrast between Western media, mainstream corporate media coverage and, and the rest of the world's media. But the media coverage on this has been so incredibly starkly. I mean, now the Western media is pretty much ignoring it. And just every time Israel has a talking point, they run with it. And I mean, latest thing with these, uh, you know, these the tortured people that they captured who then said stuff about UNRWA, member, UNRWA workers being involved with the attack in southern Israel. And I mean, they just run with this kind of stuff. It's, 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 it's stuff that they got from torturing people, you know, and then this is just considered to be like good information to the US and the UK and all the different uh, Western media outlets who just unquestionably run these stories. It's just, they're just doing the work of Israeli propaganda for Israel. It's just, you know, whereas then you look at the media in, in the rest of the world and, and they, they, they're covering Israel as if it's a genocidal power run by mad crazy people that are bent on killing all the Palestinians, which is the accurate. And, and then every time the United Nations has a uh, press conference, they cover it, you know, but if you want to see a UN press conference on television, I mean, maybe C-SPAN, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't never watch C-SPAN. I don't know what they're doing, but, but if, but it's in terms of like network coverage on, on any uh, news uh, channels, you have to look to uh, the outside of the Western world to find any reliable. I mean, Al Jazeera will interrupt their coverage and and go to wherever a UN a head of a UN department is having a press conference. They'll they'll interrupt their coverage and and have and cover press cover press conferences of Biden or Blinken. But our own uh, country's um, media just pretends like it's not the case that Biden is constantly spending most of his time in the Middle East. You know, trying to you know, trying to facilitate this genocide. He says he doesn't want the war to widen, which is ridiculous. Of course, the U.S. is now, as, he, as your yeah. headlines just reported, bombing of Iraq. And yeah, yeah. but um, they, but our press just basically ignores uh, ignores what our government is doing. I mean, half the Navy is in is somewhere between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, and that's like, who's even reporting that? You know, that that right? that, that our military is even there. In such in such numbers, 
Yes. And not only that, not only are they not covering the reality of what's happening on the ground, but as you just mentioned, Biden says he doesn't want this to expand into a broader regional conflict. We know that that's garbage. Who's called him out on that? Has anybody called him out on that? We know that they've been trying to um, initiate a conflict with Iran for a very long time. We know that we've been occupying Syria for how many years now? We know we know all these situations are playing out. The media knows that it's playing out and not a single person's going to challenge Biden on that statement. Or, for example, Antony Blinken just recently said um, uh, something to the effect that the United States is the largest contributor of aid to Palestine. My guy, you do not get to provide the bombs that are blowing children to bits on a daily basis and then send some bottled water and expect to get a pat on the back. That's not how that works. You don't get to do that. Not a single mainstream media outlet will uh, challenge him on that. Not to mention the fact that Israel doesn't even let that aid get through. So you can send all the bottled water you want. It's not getting to Palestinians. So the idea that yeah. they can make these claims unchallenged, unchecked, that they can spew these lies um, to the American people uh, and not a single journalist, again, using that term very loosely, they're not journalists, but not a single one of them is going to challenge them. I mean, the best we get is, um, which we should give immense credit to, is Matt Lee from the AP who will occasionally challenge them on their garbage or somebody like Sam Husseini who manages to get into the uh, press room mm-hmm. and is able to call them out on some things or Max Blumenthal somehow got into the press room a couple times um, and embarrassed them Mm. handedly. It doesn't take much, David. They're liars. It's very easy to call them out. And yet, again, that's kind of coming full circle to our previous conversation. The state of mainstream media in the West is really depressing. (laughs) It's really bad. Yeah, it is. It is really depressing. And it's just been getting, I mean, it's just been getting more depressing over the course of many decades. Although there was a I mean, I would say during the golden age of the internet, like 1995 to 2005, there there was a lot of good stuff happening as as far as like independent websites and indie media and all kinds of stuff on the internet, which which became, I mean, the free internet that existed for the, those 10 years was uh, yeah. uh, quite a powerful tool for organizing, you know, before all the social media algorithms and all that kicked in and we got, you know, totally like stuck in the closet and like the internet turned into whatever it is now, which you know, this this bizarre dystopic phenomenon. But I have friends who were actually uh, working in local commercial radio in the in the 80s when Reagan came to power. And, and like, I mean, there's things that have happened that it just never even got any, I don't know how many people even know about this, but, you know, there were thousands and thousands of local journalists working on at uh, local radio stations all over the country. And back before Reagan came to power, one person couldn't own more than one radio station. It almost seems like unbelievable, like uh, what yeah. kind of it's like is this communism or something, you know? But um, you know, and and every radio station in the country was required to have a news department. I mean, it, it's almost like unbelievable, right? Now yeah. they're all, you know, most of the radio stations are basically just repeaters for for you know whatever you know iHeart Music is pumping out on their you know same one hundred song playlist or whatever for each you know, of the three genres that they recognize as existing. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it used to be there was this phenomenon of, of independent radio, independent news uh, departments. And, and of course, you know, the corporations owning these various stations had their own, you know, whatever political agendas, perhaps. But, you know, they had to employ journalists. They had to employ local journalists that covered local issues. And that mm-hmm. was true all over the country. And, and then Reagan came to power. And one of the first things that they did in the Reagan administration was deregulate radio. 
so that uh, one person or corporation could own 40 stations, you know, and then Clinton came to power and did that even worse. You know, he lifted the cap entirely, you know, and, uh, and, and, but as soon as, as soon as that bill passed under Reagan, thousands of journalists immediately lost their jobs because as soon as the stations were no longer required to have a local uh, a, a journalism, uh, I mean, uh, you know, a newsroom, you know, they, they just got rid of them all. You know, that yeah. nobody, they were all, they only had them because they had to. Yes. And that's, um, uh, you're right. That did start with Reagan, but I think Bill Clinton doesn't get near enough hate for the telecommunications yeah. act of 1996. Um, people don't bring that up Absolutely. near enough because the, that is the, the consolidation of media that we are now suffering through. That is Bill Clinton. Um, that is, yes. uh, we, I think it's now what five or six companies own like nine. And these are old numbers. Like I need to look into it because that's, these are numbers from like 10 or 15 years ago that I'm repeating right now, but five or six companies, I think own like 90% of all media that includes television, radio, um, uh, all of it, all of it, all of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and we've seen, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not. There's that mashup. I think it's of Sinclair broadcasting where it's the local news reporters. They're all reading the exact same script. It is so dystopian and troubling. Yeah. It is, I mean, from all over the country, but they're all reading the exact same script. It is, um, terrifying. That is terrifying. And that's, I mean, that's really where we're at right now that we don't have, um, you know, it, it, we do have independent media. It is incredibly stifled. It is incredibly shadow banned. It's difficult, as you mentioned, with the algorithms and all of that stuff for any legitimate, uh, any, any kind of legitimate independent journalism to break through. Um, but the, I mean, it is yeah. being done, but it's just so difficult to get it in front of people. And then the mainstream press is just, um, it is nothing more than paid propagandists being repeaters for power. That's really all that it is. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's terrifying, absolutely. right, David? That's crazy. It is absolutely terrifying. And then, of course, the, the great coup of the social media platforms to get us away from using, you know, the, the independent web and, and uh, even things like email lists and the, the insidious ways that they sort of, uh, you know, were, were like Facebook was a, a very useful in so many ways. They made themselves so useful and so free and so, you know, remarkable for, for a couple of years there. Mm -hmm. Just remarkable enough to get everybody who used to you know, have email lists and all this to, you know, so many of them to abandon their email lists just to figure, oh, now everybody's on Facebook and it works kind of like an email list, but, you know, we can see people's faces and it's cooler and more, you know, high tech. And, you know, they were just completely fooled into, into this, uh, you know, just joining this massive mega corporation that then, of course, as soon as they got all our attention and, and got us all to stop using email lists and all this, then then they introduced these horrible algorithms and, you know, shadow banned or just outright banned, you know, you know, everything, you know, it's just. And they spy you on you. It's, they spy on you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a good time. And it, it, it's a good time. You just feel like, yeah, I, I hear people talk, you know, people who don't understand what's going on. And there's a lot of people, including like college professors, all kinds of people who don't get it. They don't get the algorithms. They don't see what's going on, you know, and they, yeah. they are, you know, like understandably depressed, isolated, lonely. They look at their Facebook feed and they think that their friends don't care about Palestine and only care about the fact that they just, you know, maybe they, you know, got their a new dog or, or, you know, their, their father died or whatever makes it onto the algorithm feed, you know, but you don't, you just don't see anything about politics because it's, it's suppressed, you know, so you would think nobody on Facebook is going to protest, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, obviously there's other platforms where you might find those things in actually happening, but 
there's an awful lot of people, and, and I'm sure we both know, and certainly I know, maybe a bit older than you, there's a lot of people who just aren't anywhere other than on Facebook, and, and yes. that's that's their reality, and it's so depressing. Yeah, no, 100%. And you're right, Facebook did, I mean, really, I hate to give credit, but credit where it's due, it was an incredible bait and switch. I mean, they really did a great yeah. job of pulling everybody in, uh, getting everybody hooked, making sure everybody was, uh, you know, as you said, stopping those other means of communication and dropping those other avenues of being able to, uh, you know, get information out and then uh, switched it all up. And then they started isolating you into your little echo chamber and spying on you and doing all of the things that we now know that Facebook is doing. And it's so frustrating. Um, and I mean, we're seeing the same situation with Twitter or X or whatever Elon Elon wants to call it. I mean, he's pretending to be this big free speech savior. He is yet to make a comment on the Julian Assange case. He is a giant Zionist who just went and like played patty cake with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, he's not a fan of free speech either. He's not going to protect free speech either. So we need, as especially those of us who are organizers and activists, we need to be mindful of that and really get back to those uh, more basic means of communication, those email lists and things like that, because uh, we can't depend on these uh, social media websites for organizing efforts. That's just not, that's just not a reality anymore. I don't know that it really, nope. as you said, there might have been a couple years in there where it was useful, mm -hmm. but they they really quickly took that away. I think as soon as they saw how effective yep. it was, they're like, nope, we can't have this. This is not okay. Um, okay, listen, David, we are out of time, unfortunately. Um, uh, I'm so glad that you came on. As I said, I've been a big fan of your work for a very long time, so it's great to be able to finally have a conversation with you. Again, David is on tour. Uh, currently, he will be in France and in England. You can go to davidrovix.com um, for tickets, information, all of that stuff. Follow him on Twitter, at drovix. Again, that's R-O-V-I-C-S. Uh, please share his work, um, send it to your friends, all of that good stuff. He does fantastic stuff um, for both Assange, Palestine, and a whole host of other issues. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate you very much. Um, I'll be back tomorrow thank with you. Matthew Ho and Kelly Lane. We're going to talk about candidates for Assange. Yeah. Um, so tune in for that. And as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now. Don't go anywhere. Timothy Shays right after this right here on today's News Talk.